0: Hello, welcome to the Quest Series. My name is Alan Mulhern. This is the 21st of March, 2020. We now interrupt our previous episodes to focus on the present global emergency, which has brought forward and accelerated the timetable of the emerging crises. Few announcements. Many people are deeply shocked and confused by the rapid turn of world events. However, if you believe, like I do, that the search for vision in the midst of the evolving world crisis is of great importance, then you can help. Please recommend this series to others, thus, the podcast can grow and reach a wider audience. Secondly, I am reintroducing the 100 Days Secret of the Golden Flower meditation practice as a response to the crisis. You are invited to join. Details at the end of the podcast. One needs strong nerves to contemplate the potential crises in front of us. The pandemic health crisis is serious enough, but the world is not simply entering a recession, that is a short or medium term contraction, and then back to business as normal, but is faced with the prospect of a great global depression, that is a sustained long term serious fall in output and employment, which has already begun. The paralysis of the globalisation process triggered by the COVID-19 virus will probably have enormous and lasting impact on the world economy. But my essential argument is that, firstly, the long-term financial boom in stock markets was about to crush anyway. This was no secret. Secondly, a world economy built on ever-increasing and unpayable debts can only lead to disaster. And thirdly, an unravelling of the grossly inflated financial system alone, is potentially calamitous. The reforms put in place after the 2008 collapse have been insufficient. Fourthly, government policies of quantitative easing, vast increases in liquidity of the banking systems and the like were, and still are, papering over the cracks of a financial system that is deeply flawed at its foundations and needs a far more complete overhaul These widespread government policies, quantitative easing, liquidity expansions, low interest rates and so on, have contributed heavily to the emerging crisis. Five, the underlying economic conditions of the world economy were already extremely precarious and about to reverse anyway before the COVID-19 virus. Sixthly, the bailout programmes now being put into place, many resembling the 2008 experience, will not have the same impact and may be ineffective, because we are in a different stage of the world crisis. In other words, we had reached a tipping point anyway. The COVID-19 virus has detonated an explosion in an inflated and unsustainable economic and financial structure, which, in my view, will now unravel. This mini-series in front of us might be difficult to digest, especially for those of you who, like myself, We're enjoying the leisurely stroll through ancient history in our previous episodes. Suddenly, that seems another age. Well, it was. But there is great value to see into the roots of the emerging world crisis, which have been building up for a long time. Our aim is to be clearer and face what is to come with greater vision. We seek the meaning of the evolving world crisis. The first and unexpected wave... The corona pandemic, a black swan event if ever there was one, has already hit and is shocking. But its impact is to detonate the inflated financial bubble and provoke an economic crisis that has been long in preparation. I also believe that at some point soon, a leadership will have to emerge which provides genuine vision for the future. These points I introduce in today's podcast are complex but will be further elaborated in a special recording during April 2020, which I anticipate will be a premium podcast on this platform. This will be a more detailed and closely argued lecture. It will also have a price. The proceeds of this will be devoted to an expansion of the Quest programme, which I strongly believe is required in the coming crises. The Quest needs to step up to the plate. Our normal, bi-weekly Quest podcasts will continue as usual and free. But I also anticipate more premium podcasts as the crises unfold. Okay, let's begin. Rising CO2 levels, extraordinary levels of pollution of all kinds, unprecedented climatic change, relentlessly rising global temperatures, continents like Australia burning, increasing wars, political division, civil disturbance threatened fragmentation of the European Union, pandemics, enormous share value collapse, economic calamities, quarantine of whole countries and emerging Great Global Depression are just some issues we face. In any other age, one would say the gods are angry. The COVID-19 pandemic is, with frightening speed, turning into an economic and financial crisis. Behind which is a systemic crisis on multiple fronts. I have proposed a number of dimensions of the evolving world crisis. These are the economic, political, military, climatic, technological, spiritual, social, to which we now have to add the pandemic. I have referred to them as the Eight Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Behind these is the dimension of ideas, since it is our philosophies, belief systems, obsessions, and ideologies that cause and influence these crises so deeply. We need a vision as total as the crises we face. Our leaders are largely unprepared for these eventualities, certainly not the coronavirus, but not even the financial and economic disaster that is upon us, and this is the supposed area of their expertise, in fact their obsession. They are already using the same tools used in the 2008 crisis, that is, Monetary and Fiscal Policy. But these, in my view, will be ineffective, because this crisis is different. Our vision is inevitably confined by our experience, our limited intuition, as well as our prejudices and self-interest. Currently, we have systemic crises on many fronts which interact with one another. For example, a pandemic plus an economic and financial crisis. Other variables, other horsemen, will interact with the emerging crisis. Nevertheless, our first task is to understand the individual components of this system. Our focus today is the evolving economic and financial global crisis, for which I now give a simplified model as follows. 1. The approaching storm. 2. The storm hits. Three, policy response. Four, economic contraction or depression and financial chaos or collapse. Five, the great global depression. Six, civil disturbance, political radicalism, dangers of war. And seven, fallout and emergence in a radically changed world. These points will be put on my website, alamulher.com, under the philosophy section. Today, I examine the initial stage of this model, the approaching storm, and divide it into five parts. Firstly, the cycles of the capitalist economy. Secondly, the comparison with the 1929 financial collapse, followed by the Great Depression of the 1930s. Thirdly, the deregulation period of the late 1980s and 90s as the springboard of for the explosive growth of the financial system and later calamities. Fourthly, the GFC or the Global Financial Crisis of 2007-8 and the rescue policies that followed that laid the basis for later financial collapse. Fifthly, the fault lines in the world economy leading to the present emergency of 2020. The COVID-19 pandemic, serious though it is, is exposing the already existing great fragility of the modern world economy, especially its financial markets, and it is here where the greater crisis lies. Firstly, then, a point of theory. The capitalist economy naturally passes through booms and slumps across its history, from the 18th century onwards. In each cycle there are surges of investment as inventions and innovations are unleashed, but there is a tendency for the economy to overshoot an equilibrium and then undergo painful contractions of investment and production with consequent unemployment, bankruptcies, reductions of GDP and income levels. During the boom, there develops excessive credit and money supply fueling the upswing, thereby creating vastly inflated bubbles which inevitably collapse. This slump is manifested in unemployment, collapse in incomes bankruptcies a clearing out of bad debt old technologies and inefficient firms an adjustment of wages and profits to lower levels and the ending of speculative mania the capitalist economy is a system of tremendous creative and destructive power while it allocates resources and facilitates exchanges in ways that have allowed the creation of immense wealth it is also prone to periodic severe crises which the financial system intensifies in the boom and the inevitable slump. The accumulated experience of these slumps is continually forgotten in each boom as the greed and the mania set in. Secondly, the United States boom of the roaring 1920s ended in 1929 with a crash of the stock markets leading to closures of many banks that in turn was followed by the Great Depression which hit the United States and then Western Europe, very hard. This tragically contributed to the rise of Nazism and therefore World War II. So, the sequence was firstly economic expansion fueled by speculative excess, then financial collapse, then an economic depression, then political turmoil, and then military catastrophe with World War II. If another Great Depression is the result of the present crisis we can also expect enormous political, social and military consequences. While each crisis is distinct, nevertheless, important lessons can be learnt. In the 1930s, having experienced the awful consequences of financial collapse, economic depression, international protectionism and reductions in world trade, the United States engaged not only in the New Deal but also in financial reform. This was the famous Glass-Steagall Act, in 1934 that restricted the operations of the banking sector the authorities saw correctly that the source of the crash was the bubble of speculation that flowed from the loose and expansive credit of the banking system of the 1920s the restrictions to banking and speculative practices were effective and were incorporated in other countries such as the UK thirdly deregulation These restrictions from the 1930s held in place until the 1980s, when in America and the UK they were lifted as part of the deregulation, lifting of rules, ideology of that period. This deregulation is one of the main sources of our present evils and was applied to the whole financial sector, which proceeded to invent and sell a vast range of financial products, from mortgages to insurances to pensions to investment possibilities to gambles on the world's stock markets, to unsuspecting customers. Banks and new institutions were allowed to engage in vast speculation, which fuelled the boom of these periods. Digital technology sped up the whole process enormously. A number of crashes predictably occurred. There was considerable growth of GDP, the gross domestic product, and the wealth in this period and the digital revolution had productivity impacts on all areas of economic life. But once again, as so many times before, the excessive speculation stimulated by money creation inflated artificially high asset prices, for example, in the housing and stock markets. The psychology also of whole nations began to shift towards free markets, individual acquisitive appetites, experimentation, pleasure-seeking, drug activity, and styles of life unknown previously to the working populations. Fourthly, the Great Recession. In the boom leading to the crash of 2007-08, there developed a gigantic inflated bubble of all kinds of asset prices, but especially those of share prices and housing markets. New financial creations such as the famous CDOs, the collateralized Debt Obligations, proved to be detonators of an explosion in the financial system. The stock market crashed in 2008. A recession followed. Unemployment reached 10% in 2009. Output declined. The Great Recession began. In the United States, policy responses by government included a massive $700 billion bailout for an inflated, collapsing financial system followed by a $787 billion stimulus package to the economy, trying to prevent both an economic and financial crisis. Such programmes were imitated in other major economies. The cost of doing this was to increase the national debt load of Western governments to unheard of levels outside of wartime. This expansion of debt lies at the heart of the immense contemporary fragility of the world's financial systems. The seeds of the next crash were already being sown. The above sketches the barest of facts. However, as became increasingly apparent, the most powerful influence post-2008 on the world economy was the phenomenal expansion of China, which was the motor for enormous demand, investment and therefore growth in the world economy. Since that growth bubble for that is what it subsequently became, has now been punctured and was in considerable slowdown prior to the virus outbreak, then this motor of world expansion is no longer available to pull the world out of the present economic crisis. This is one major difference in the stage of the world crisis that distinguishes us from the post-2008 situation. Fifthly, the fault lines in the world economy have been increasing since the GFC, 2008. Debt comes in a number of forms. The debt of the state, or government debt, national debt. The corporate debt, or corporations, which is both financial and non-financial. Then private debt, mortgages, student loans, bank loans, credit cards, overdrafts, and the like. National debt levels, the government debt levels, exceeding 60% are very dangerous. This is already a very high figure, but since the 2008 crisis, national debts of many major economies have risen past repayment possibilities. Spiralling debt often leads to more debt or bankruptcy of the whole countries. Levels exceeding 100% of GDP are becoming common. For example, Italy, Japan, the United States, to mention a few. The present crisis of 2020 is going to take the debt levels of these and many other countries into the stratosphere. At some point, very soon, this will unravel in national bankruptcies. The common response of governments to this crisis is to pile on more debt. But this can only lead to catastrophe. You don't need a PhD in economics for this debt undermines national and the world economies debts spiraling upwards end in national bankruptcies this is another difference from 2008 our debt structures have not been corrected they have got much worse and are continuing to do so and we are entering this depression therefore in worse condition than in 2007. in 2018 while world GDP was around $80 trillion, that's $1,000 billion, $80 trillion world GDP. Global debt, national, sometimes also called sovereign debt. Corporate, financial and non-financial, and private debt reached $188 trillion. GDP at $80 trillion, debt at $188 trillion according to IMF reports. The mind boggles. China, long regarded as the world's economic powerhouse, has a total, all these debts together, a total debt ratio of 258% of its GDP at the end of 2018. This, incidentally, is almost the same figure as the United States, and nearing the average for advanced economies this average being a figure of 265%. The major economies are hopelessly in debt. In China, the corporate debt-to-GDP ratio, this alone now stands at 160% of GDP. While Chinese households, private debt, have also hugely increased their borrowing. Household debt as a share of GDP in China reached a record high of 50% in 2017. China's debt problems is one of the worst in the world. World corporate non-financial debt, that's outside of the finance system, but in corporations in the non-finance sector, alone has ballooned, and in 2018 was 94% of the world's GDP. Well, may you gasp. Growth of unmanageable, out-of-control debt on a global scale, led by governments and financial institutions, is one of the most distinguishing and disturbing features of the modern economic age. I am reminded of Shakespeare's Tempest, Act 4, Scene 1. Quote, and like the baseless fabric of this vision, the cloud-capped towers... The gorgeous palaces, the solemn temples, the great globe itself, yea, all which we inherit, shall dissolve. And like this insubstantial pageant faded, leave not a rack behind. We are such stuff as dreams are made on, and our little life is rounded with the sleep. Secondly, looking at the fault lines of the world economy leading up to the 2020 crash, the creation of vast amounts of money offered at almost zero interest rate in so-called quantitative easing programmes has been, and still is, a major feature since 2008. This is monetary policy, part of it. And much of this new money creation that has been done through low interest rates making it easier to borrow is not passed out to the economy at large, but kept largely within the money system or in the corporate system buying up their own shares and therefore driving up share prices and giving themselves ever greater wealth. A massive misallocation of funds. Over the decade following 2008, $10 trillion of new money was injected into the global financial system by purchasing government bonds. This is equivalent to one-eighth of the world's annual output and is approaching the GDP of China, which is around 12 trillion. Long-term, artificially low interest rates held at these low rates by government are a fundamental distortion to the economy and prevent proper functioning of markets and encourage wrong decisions. The fourth major sign of the oncoming crisis, the fault lines in the world's economy, were signs of an inflated bubble. Stock markets become inflated and disconnected from economic reality. That is, mediocre GDP growth rates and sometimes zero growth rates, or near zero, while stock markets boom. Well, that doesn't make sense, does it? Something is wrong. The value of the company's shares and so on shouldn't boom while the economy is static. This is because of all this money pumped into the system. Rising volatility and excess valuations of global stocks the stocks become very volatile. We see this in the present crisis. Well, this is because the value of these shares are extremely difficult to calculate. Having been inflated so high, what people really suspect is that their value will drop to the levels that they should have been maybe 20, 30, even 50 percent lower. But the hope is that they will continue rising. Especially if there is some government help to make this happen. So the share prices become more volatile as they bounce between these two positions. Next, there is an increase in the shadow system of the banking and financial system, which has parasitic gambling of enormous proportion. Hedge funds and the like, with their gambling activities, margins and shorts and currency speculations and exchange traded funds, ETFs with inverse Gambles on them, margin calls going ballistic in the present crisis—all of these huge dangers of an irresponsible, enormously self-centered sector, which can topple the whole system. This was supposed to be reformed, wasn't it, after 2008? And it hasn't. And lo and behold, where are the next government bailouts going in the support of the financial markets? Who will it be supporting? Fifthly, fault line of the world economy, stagnant productivity growth, or declining total factor productivity. Without productivity growth, the economy finds it very difficult to expand. And this has been stagnant in many countries, even in China, while other countries such as the UK have been experiencing decreasing productivity. Sixthly, as we mentioned, China, the engine of world growth, has slowed down and this bubble is now collapsing. Seventhly, there has been for a long period a growing gap between the rich and the poor. This is accumulating vast social resentment, anger and will explode with radical new movements and political parties. Eighthly, as a consequence we have increased political division between countries and within countries. China and the United States for example increasing protectionism, which increased tariffs and obstacles to trade and therefore reduced world wealth. Divisions within countries, between different parties and countries, in larger economic unions and blocs, for example, where the European Union becomes under threat, Brexit, the British leaving the European Union, but that in the near future will be followed by other countries. And I believe the European Union will be reduced to a core from which it probably never should have expanded. And nightly, the governments are out of firepower, or out of ammo, as the phrase goes in the financial markets. That is, throwing huge amounts of money at the situation is just creating more debt, because the government haven't got any money. They've got enormous unpayable debts, but they're inventing more money creation to throw at this situation, as if that's going to really solve the problem. It may provide some short-term relief, but that is illusory. But it's creating the conditions for the next crash around the corner. Also, when people stop buying government debt, when the bond system collapses, government bonds are no longer bought, because people fear they won't get their money back, then this piece of artillery becomes ineffective. The only other piece of artillery they will have left is interest rates. But they can't go down much more anyway. Not like the 2008 crisis when they could go down substantially from around 5% downwards. Now they're around 1% anyway and going down, but they haven't got much further to go. All of this reflects more profound problems which we shall discuss as the podcast proceed and in the premium podcasts. First problem being financialization, which is the alliance, the financial system and the governments being, as it were, in bed together feeding off one another, revolving doors of jobs and contracts and money creations flowing from the government and central banks to the financial system and back again. The growing importance of the financial system, displacing manufacturing, displacing other areas of the economy until people think that the question, how are the markets doing, means how is the stock exchange doing? This is a complete distortion of conceptualising the real economy. Also, other profound problems, the abandonment of economic fundamentals. There's no agreement of what the foundations of economics are. And economists and government officials and leaders so blindly lead their countries into debt and money creation, which is destroying the economy. In other words, they lack fundamental economic knowledge, and we have therefore an appalling state of basic economic theory, which is incapable of providing guidance in this conflict, but has become allied to the financial system, supporting its ideology. Next profound problem, the recovery from the last financial crisis, 2008, has been illusory, since the policies of Western governments of cheap money, quantitative easing, low interest rates and the like, far from strengthening their economies, have weakened them. The policy efforts to safeguard the financial system since the global financial crisis have been inadequate, therefore and vast gambling operations have gorged themselves in feeding frenzies on the stock exchanges. And this has been encouraged by government cheap money policies. GDP levels may have recovered prior to the 2020 crash, but growth in investment, productivity and wages over the last, say, five, six years has been dismal, especially in the United States and the United Kingdom. More than at any point in previous history, living standards have become disconnected from employment growth which prior to the crash was at an all-time high but living standards had either static or had dropped so one of the fault lines was this stagnant wages and productivity falling investment rising poverty increasing debts and false policies of government leading to inflated stock markets inflated financial systems which are destined to collapse okay I mentioned that I am restarting the quests 100 day practice of 30 minute meditation each day and study of the Taoist text that seeks the circulation of the light and the secret of the golden flower many of us are isolated in this present emergency we can convert this into an opportunity. On this programme, which is free, I send out a summary of this beautiful meditation text, plus a weekly newsletter and encouragement to continue the daily practice. I believe an inner counterpoise to the outer crisis is required. It is prudent to find a source of calm in the current crisis and to take this opportunity to deepen the inner search. Paradoxically, it may be only in times such as these that one may find it. To join us, you may contact me at thepilgrimquest at gmail.com or find contact details at www.halanmulhern.com Finally, for those of you who want to study this more deeply during April 2020, there is a premium podcast on the above material. Okay, This podcast has been a lot to take on, and we have only just begun this series, which will track the developing crises and provide reflections upon them. As you can see, I believe essentially that there is deep trauma ahead. I do not believe there is any easy escape from it, and anyway, if by some miracle we return to business as usual, we would only move on to another crisis of greater magnitude. That is the evidence of our history, and certainly our economic system. However, besides being trained as an economist, I am also a psychotherapist and someone deeply respectful of the world's spiritual traditions. And it is a common observation that individuals change most when they face their traumas fully and honestly and harness the energies to effect fundamental change. The same applies to the collective in this series of crises that are unfolding. By facing not only our own shadow, and self-made traumas, but also those traumas we have inflicted on others, the earth, animals of all descriptions, the trauma and killing we have inflicted on this incredibly beautiful and miraculous life that we have been so privileged to have been given. Only by facing this, acknowledging it, feeling it, can we begin the process of change. Our species is sleepwalking to the edge of a precipice. Awaken.